welcome to the Beyond the Hustle podcast. My name is Lydia Wilmsen and I'm a mindset and business coach for high achieving entrepreneurs. In this podcast, I share insights into how you can create a life of freedom, happiness and personal fulfillment while increasing financial success way beyond what you have achieved with hustle alone so far. Plus, every other week I interview inspiring and out-of-the-box thinking entrepreneurs. Have fun and enjoy! Welcome to today's podcast episode. And today I have again a very special guest. Today it's Michael Landcraft. <laughs> Welcome to the show. <laughs> hey Lydia, pleasure to be on your show. Thank you very much for having me. And Michael is an Amazon entrepreneur and crypto enthusiast, as he calls himself. So I'm really excited to hear about all of that today on the podcast. And first, I would love if you can introduce yourself a little bit, Michael. Like, what's your story? What, you do, what do you do? Yes, of course. So I'm uh, Michael, 33 years old. Nice to meet you all. And uh, thanks for tuning in today. I am a German citizen living in Cyprus at the moment, but that was not always the case. So for the first 27 years of my life, I didn't know much what to do about it. <laughs> I've been studying a lot um, here and there, looking for orientation, looking for my way in life. And um, first I thought, okay, it's going to be journalism. Then I thought it's going to be uh, something on the radio, on TV. At some point I realized, yes, sounds good, looks good, but it's massively underpaid. <laughs> so then I realized, okay, maybe there is a financial motive more than with other people, maybe. But that's difficult to understand or to realize for yourself because I don't know how about you, but when I was at university and uh, studying psychology and rhetorics and media economics and all this stuff, the people were different than the people I think you and I are hanging out with today. And humans tend to conform themselves with their peer group logically, so, mm -hmm. so did I. So I thought it's probably not okay to make more money than other people think is okay. But what do you do with that? So the question was, will you find something, some job maybe that is both fun, because everybody says it has to be fun, right? Because if it's not, it's not cool. Everybody mm -hmm. wants to be cool. Both fun and well-paid. And I could just not figure out that uh, equation until at the age of 27, which is just seven, uh, about, around about six years ago, I found a book and that book then led me on my journey today. And what is the book? No, I'm super curious. Um, well, it has a German title. How do we translate this? In German, it's Kopfschlag uh, Kapital by the author um, named Günther Faltin, which basically means that if you have brains, that beats whatever money or capital you think you have at your disposal or you think you need. So the whole point he was making that, uh, it, that it's not impossible to make your own way, to be on your own, And uh, to not land under the bridge uh, with nothing, right? Because everybody, you probably had the same, uh, kept saying, oh, you want to do like your own business? That's going to fail. Where do you think this is going to lead? Oh, no, we want the best for you. So why don't you get a safe job? <laughs> and Mr. Faltin in his book was the first person to break things down and to say, no, 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 there is a way. So the only challenge was then to find that way because it's like a pair of shoes there are hundreds or thousands of different models out there but what kind of shoe do you actually like and what is the one that fits you mm. so i then went to a couple of conferences where i met entrepreneurs for the first time in my life aliens indeed 
from my perspective. Oh, I feel were, you. Yeah, they were talking about different things. They were having a good time, apparently, and they seemed so excited, which was both new and inspiring to watch because most of my friends at the time were not very excited about what they were doing anymore because they knew what they would be doing for the last 10 years already. So where is the fun in that? But anyway, mm. it's fine for other people. Um, yeah, and I met uh, a guy on stage who talked about his Amazon business. I thought, what, what kind of business can that be? I thought it's Jeff Bezos' business is not, and not him, uh, not mm -hmm. his. And then he said, yeah, I'm basically selling dog leashes sourced from China online via Amazon and I send them to Amazon and they fulfill it so I don't have to deal with warehousing and I get the, well, whatever profit I calculated minus the commission for Amazon for their services and that's a viable business model. Mm -hmm. I thought, look, if he can do it, maybe I can do it, right? Yeah, okay, so cool. And then, you and then you started with dog leashes? <laughs> I could have. Probably should have, but um, no, we found, well, at the time I was looking for a couple of friends because as you know, those famous five people around you that shape your thinking, I thought maybe I should hack this first and look for others that are on the same journey so that I'm not alone. Um, that happened quite well. I uh, found two, two very good friends that are still very good friends today. We discussed about what kinds of products we should source, how this business model works. And uh, of course, as a beginner, you make many mistakes. So the first products didn't take off. And over time, um, we chose a bit more of a wholesale approach, but with your own label. So mm. it's, your, it's your own brand and you go all over the board. There are other people who focus on certain niches in order to stay consistent and more brand-like. But then again, we came to realize that if you sell on Amazon, you're not the brand. Amazon is the brand. So yes, you use the platform, but the only way to bring value to the market, as in any market, is to actually create something unique. Uh, a mentor of mine from um, Austin, Texas, once said that the only thing that makes people open their wallet is uniqueness. So whatever you do in any market, in any kind of positioning that you take, be it as a consultant, be it as, uh, be it as someone who creates products, you want to be unique, recognizable, impossible to copy. So that's what we did. That's what we're still doing today all over the board. So it's, it's a wide range of products. And um, that's why... I'm now in the position of being able to slowly, just slowly shift into what Robert Kiyosaki calls the I-quadrant, the investor's quadrant. I'm, I'm sure many people are aware of this model. I'll just quickly break it down of mm -hmm. uh, four quadrants. E, S, B, I are the letters. So you're either employed. That's the first quadrant. Everybody starts there. It's um, a journey, basically. And at the time uh, or over time, you might or might not think, okay, I want to do something on my own do your own thing you switch over to the s quadrant which is self-employed uh, you run into a lot of hustle so you're hustling all day long mm -hmm. uh, and then over time you start thinking okay but if i'm the only one hustling then i'm my biggest bottleneck right and i think that's also what you're talking about in your coaching is a lot and it's one of the most valuable messages to bring out there i'm so happy that so many people are tuning in and finding you because what you what you're doing there is of tremendous value right so in this S quadrant, the biggest challenge is to realize that you are indeed your own bottleneck and then to wonder how to transcend this. Mm. Usually the answer goes along the lines of letting go, uh, especially letting go of perfectionism and the notion that you think you're doing everything 
best and that there's no person on earth that can do it as good as you. Uh, this may or may not be true. doesn't matter. It's just about letting go of certain things that you think you have to be doing. It's about... Yeah, we can go a little bit better, um, more into that in a moment. So of course. Of course. Um, perhaps just give the, the quadrants and then we speak about the plus and the, the minus or the, the pros and the cons in a moment. Yes. That would be great. So, um, yeah, we ended at, I think... Employed, self-employed. We have the ah, yes, S, right. And now we have the I. I guess you want to go into. Yes, thank you for uh, taking me back there. I'm some, I sometimes get carried away. So all good. <laughs> yeah. So the next, the third quadrant of the four is um, the B quadrant, which is business owner. Now that might confuse some people because it sounds very much like self-employment, but self-employment versus business ownership means leverage. Basically, it comes down to leverage. Are you able to leverage resources beyond your own time and creativity? and knowledge. Uh, and the more you achieve this, the better you are at entering and surviving in the B quadrant. Then the last quadrant is the I, is being the investor. So if you manage to not screw up in any of those previous quadrants, you have basically qualified in order to now become an investor with ideally money that you can afford to lose because you have built cash flowing assets somewhere between the S and the B quadrant between being self-employed and a business owner in order to be able to make mistakes uh, and fail your way forward, so to speak, so that at some point you arrive at a higher level than where you started. Yeah, I love that. And I love that you're bringing um, Kiyosaki in the game and <laughs> I have all your knowledge and putting it like directly into the teaching here. So that's perfect. And you already started... Oh, I have so many questions, but... Um, Where do I start? You know, like I have then 10 different questions and where do I start? But we'll get to, to all of them. So all good. So um, because you already started um, saying a little bit, what are the, the bottlenecks of the, the different quadrants? So perhaps can we do the whole round again and say like, what is the bottleneck of being employed and then self-employed and all of that? And then we go into also what's the, the plus, like the advantage. Yes. Now, a disclaimer, everything is, I say is purely subjective. I think there are different possible answers to that. I'll give you my perspective. So starting um, at the employment level is probably the hardest place to start at all, but at the same time, the most crucial one, because in order to build something that you can sustain yourself with beyond the single income stream, which is called a job that you have, it takes that very job because without it, people who are employed wouldn't have any income stream at all. So this is needed for survival which means that most of your time is being tied at this job and your focus. Now, time and focus are the most valuable resources of the rich, the so-called rich, mm. so that um, this is the most scarce in terms of resources at this first quadrant. Um, that is exactly why it's so hard for people, for people to start out, to carve out these one or two hours after their job, after their day job, to actually realize what it is they want to build with such a drive and such a relentlessness that they can actually pull it off without burning themselves out in the process. So that I think in a nutshell is the biggest challenge in the self-employment quadrant. Maybe on top of that, your surroundings, those five people around you at that level, usually not your best friends in terms of growth, personal mm. development. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's a good point because um, I see it a little bit wider than just your five friends. So I have amazing friends who are still in that quadrant And they will probably stay people like friends for life because they, they manage like personal growth and they, they do evolve. So 
So it's yeah. probably what you said, like, yeah, are they able to evolve? Because you can always choose to stay in that quadrant. So probably for everyone, yeah. it's not a must that you move out of that, but it's obviously the podcast is geared towards people who are entrepreneurs and looking into becoming business owners and um, investors. So obviously you're totally fine if you don't want to move there. However, like the five people, like how inspiring are they? And it's very important if you want to move beyond where you are, that you have people who inspire you to go there. Otherwise, you are always the leader and that takes so much energy. Like if you are always the most inspiring person, um, yeah, not much movement there. Well said, Lydia, well said. Uh, which reminds me of a saying that goes along the lines of uh, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. <laughs> so. Yeah. There are still a couple of friends back from the day, especially those two that I mentioned earlier that um, started the, the Amazon business uh, independently, each, everybody for himself. They are in different businesses now, but that was a starting point and they evolved like crazy. I'm, I'm full of respect for those guys. Yeah, at the same time, not everybody wants to make that leap and it's a very good point because that's totally fine, of course. Yeah, so cool. We have first quadrant. Oh, yeah, the first quadrant. So yes. that's the bottleneck, obviously. And ah, but I wanted to know what was your your first um, job, not so well paid job probably. Otherwise, you wouldn't have jumped. Yeah. So I did go to a private radio station in Germany and tried myself as a uh, moderator and uh, on air, which worked fine uh, and it was okay. But after all, if you if you take the overall amount of energy that goes into a project, be it yours or someone else's, you want to see a certain outcome in order for it to be balanced and justify the effort that you put in. It wasn't. It was fun, but since that scale was not in balance, I didn't last long. Okay, so you are you. You did go into that. Yeah, not for long though, because uh, yeah. Yeah, for obvious reasons. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Cool. So then we have. The, the second quadrant you spoke about, what would you say, obviously, from your point of view, are the, the bottlenecks there? The person entering the self-employment quadrant has achieved something amazing. It is transcending this employment stage where you're dealing with limitations more than you ever will again, most likely. So you've crushed through those boundaries. You're now self-employed, but you've also taught yourself something, which is that unless you do things on your own and yourself, unless you take all responsibility, nothing really gets done. And that's both true and untrue at that stage. It's a bit of a trap because what brought you there is not what will bring you to the next quadrant, which is very crucial to understand because basically as this model works is each time you switch quadrant, you basically have to become a very different person, evolve in order to see what before was either not required or invisible to your eye. In the self-employment quadrant, this is the very big trap to think that you're the only one to bring this forward because that's what worked before. Uh, now, the opposite is true. It takes realizing what you're good at, what you want to do, and what you don't excel in or you simply want to let go of. For me, at the time, it was customer service. I love, love, love having somebody who loves customer service. We call it actually customer love in our department in order to make clear what it's about. But I'm just not that guy. I'm not the one reading through all the messages and dealing with the frustration because people, especially customers on Amazon, um, usually only text you when they have something to complain about, yeah. which is fine. That's just the nature of the beast. Um, but I can't, I'm, I'm not good at dealing with all that negativity. Let's put it this way. So I found a virtual assistant through one of the Facebook groups. There are loads of Facebook groups by now with virtual assistant, right? 
And um, she's so amazing, just does it according to standards that we set, which directly touches on systems and templates and the way you structure your processes. So very important buzzwords here mm-hmm. in order to make clear by what rules this letting go will work so that you can keep focusing in peace on whatever you want to focus on. And you also mentioned, so this was something you outsourced, obviously, that you you didn't like. Um, mm-hmm. And you also mentioned before I stopped you <laughs> before um, around the like perfectionism, also something to let go of stuff that you think you're amazing of uh, in or you probably are amazing in. Can you say something around this? Perfectionism? <laughs> <laughs> no? <laughs> I can, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yes perfectionism is a blessing and a curse because at the very essence it means that you want to do things right which is great if you want to build something that lasts because you build a foundation that works it's like being an engineer you you just want things to work and that's perfect at some point perfectionism will slow you down though because complexity grows exponentially with each quadrant so at some point either you or your team will have a very hard time overlooking everything properly Um, so in order to avoid the whole thing blowing up in your face, it is crucial to let go of the perfectionism and uh, in favor of, let's say, the 80-20 approach, Pareto's principle. I guess most people are familiar with that one. Um, now that means letting go of that which is not necessarily important or drives sales. Some people just call it that which makes the boat go faster in favor for that which actually makes the boat go faster. And that's uh, surprisingly very few things because many Many tasks, especially many requests, um, compete for our attention as a CEO day by day. But if we take a look at them, very few of those are actually driving value. Very few of those are driving revenue. So that is a very important skill to then differentiate between one and the other and to relentlessly focus on those few things that actually drive value. Would you have some specific examples? Oh, yeah. Yeah, just look at my inbox. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what's yours looking like the same probably right no i think i'm, I'm pretty good with that already yeah. with letting go of perfectionism very good yes um i asked somebody in my team we're now uh, six virtual assistants and i'm basically just overseeing the the operations so not not too entangled in, into the day-by-day operations anymore which is crucial for mental and otherwise health <laughs> so at some point I complained within uh, inside the team that there are so many emails still hitting my inbox. Uh, and one of them said, oh, what a coincidence. I happen to be a process optimizer. I love processes. I'm like, am I hearing this right? I don't really like processes. Because, you know, I'm just not into that, just like numbers. You have to be good with numbers to some extent, obviously, but I'm not the guy I'm creating Excel sheets or something like that. But she, she is, and which is why she's the best um, to cover up for my weaknesses, which there are a lot of. And unless you have an amazing team to cover up exactly those weaknesses, you won't have a business that thrives. So she came up with something very simple and said, hey, uh, I can program you a couple of filters for your inbox so that, let's say, Google May filters your emails for uh, by, let's say, importance or automated emails that come every day uh, so that there was a lot more order than chaos after she was done. And it took her like 10 minutes and saves me hours day, after, day over day. That's a great example. Probably nice to hear for especially people who deal with like crazy being flooded by by emails. So that's super cool. Good. 
And can you say something before we move on to the next quadrant? It's so interesting that you brought this up. That's such a nice structure for this for this interview. Can you perhaps say something around um, mindset, especially leaving um, the self-employed quadrant behind? What mindset shifts need to happen there? You're laughing. A lot, apparently a lot. Leaving the self-employment quadrants. Um, one of the most crucial things for me was to allow myself to ask for help, very basically. That is true both for assistance um, to take over tasks and outcomes. Both is very important um, that you're either not the best fit for or simply don't feel like doing. That's also a fair reason. Uh, but it's also true for professional help. Who is the one to elevate your mindset to the next level? Who's your coach? And is it okay to pay coaches? Because there's a lot of misconception out there about, oh, all those coaches, they make ex uh, expensive programs and then they rip you off and everything. Um, that might be true in some cases, but I think everybody who has a certain knowledge of people is able to sniff that out pretty quickly. That's uh, for one. And secondly, you don't have to stick with anybody that you don't like or that doesn't deliver. So um, I basically allowed myself to keep looking until I found somebody who at that very stage was the right person to help me get to the next level. Um, you could boil it down to saying that whenever you find yourself on a plateau, you are missing a person. So you're either missing the person to do the job for you that you're not willing or able to do, which is perfectly fine, or the person to help you see what you don't yet see. Uh, and of course, that's intangible. Of course, from the outside, that's hard to measure, but it's yet one of the most crucial services somebody can do uh, and, and deliver. So I, I did that extensively. I flew to the United States a couple of times, um, even within a short span of time, just in order to find those people, to visit them, to go to masterminds, to pay again at this point more money than other people think is okay. <laughs> But it was totally <laughs> worth it after all. Not every time, of course. I mean, it's just the nature of the beast in any business that you throw stuff at the wall uh, and see what sticks. But in order to see what sticks, you have to just try things, be courageous, to not listen to people who are not where you want to be, which is very, very important, and to only seek out, seek out and stick to those who live exactly the life you want to live. And that's what I did. That's what I'm still doing. And that's, I think, probably the only reason I make any progress. Because if I were listening just to myself, I wouldn't get anywhere. Yeah. You would just stay in your bubble and in your own thinking. You just repeat what you have been doing every day. It's so difficult to get out of your own head if you don't yeah. have the support. And Yeah. You just, yeah, you just said it perfectly, I would say. Like someone who elevates your thinking, who helps you see things you're not seeing yet. Like especially this, because at the level where we are at, you know, this is what we can see and what we think is possible. Yeah. Someone to help us to see beyond that is just, yeah, if you want to like really grow bigger in, in these quadrants, it's just a must. And it's also so true that it's intangible. And this is what I hear often. And um, yeah. You already mentioned something around that as well. It's, it really comes also down to where do, what feels aligned for you, which person feels aligned for you. And obviously, does the person have what you want? Is that person living that what you want? Or has that person experiences, like can show results with people who then have what you want? You know? Yes. So, good point. Yes, exactly. And, and people who don't look stressed out, right? Yeah. <laughs> Because I see many coaches out there or self-proclaimed gurus and whatnot who might deliver but at a, at a price that I think is too high because I, I'll just assume that people like you and I and most, most people in your audience, they value a certain balance in life 
And we all are in this for freedom, which is an interesting thing because you don't feel free usually when doing business until you, you reach a certain point where you can finally start delegating things, taking yourself out of it more and more, become more of a supervisor than the hustler. And once you're there, it becomes fun again because then at the, for the first time you have um, ideally cash left over to do fun things with, not just um, consuming, but also creating because we're all creators. I love that. Okay, let's move on to the next quadrant because now we are at the, the bottlenecks of the business owner before it goes into to the invest, investment quadrant. Yes. <laughs> In one word, focus. Um, you might recall a bit earlier I mentioned the complexity that becomes much, much bigger with every quadrant. Now in the business quadrant, you have built something with multiple layers. You probably have um, direct assistance. You have um, some kind of operations that is done by somebody else. In our case, it is product development, for example, or it's um, inventory management, logistics. It's customer service. So all these departments that I used to do myself, which is good because I can now tell if somebody does a good job or not, uh, all of those I just let go in the previous quadrant. But now we have a very complex operation with many voices uh, screaming at you for attention once again. So it's a bit like a bird feeding its baby birds. So you're wondering, okay, what do I do with that now? See, all those people said it's a freedom business, right? I don't see much about that. But, okay. No, it's a feeding business. <laughs> it's a feeding business, right? More, more a feeding business than a freedom business at this point. So what do we do about that? Um, there are basically two ways. You can either keep delegating and identifying those things that you dislike or that are not delivering enough leverage according to whatever you think is enough leverage, right the way you did before in order to reduce that complexity. Um, or the second one is to start hiring somebody in your stead. So an actual either chief operations manager or a chief executive officer, which would be, well, I would say, the biggest possible solution, but also the most expensive one in most cases, which is why many people understandingly back away from it. I did back away from it yet, but that's simply because my level of hustling uh, is reduced to a point where I can simply say, it's okay, it's fine. I'm overseeing this business. I'm happy to help. It's more of a mentorship role for my employees because we're a team still and I help everybody grow because that's the only way they help me grow in return. That's a very important thing to understand, which is also why you won't find a single person in our team who's underpaid or doesn't get what he or she wants. Um, simple thing is they help me in return. And I'll just briefly touch on something very important. One of the biggest challenges in order to Uh, go full circle to the challenges that need overcoming in the respective quadrants is to find motivated employees because this whole leveraging only works if you have people that uh, can think straight ahead same way you can and that's tough because we've all seen where that's not the case or all little interviews with people we would not want to have on our team so yes it's a bit of a needle in a haystack thing but eventually you'll find people who tick like you We have the same ambition like you or similar ambition, let's say, but are totally fine working employed, which blows our minds as entrepreneurs that there are people out there who are totally fine with that. But there's no lack of, of people who are fine in this position. I think that that's, that's one of the most crucial things to hire motivated employees in the first place because motivating people who are not motivated to begin with is probably impossible. So it's in our case, it's not necessarily done by money. Yes, we pay people well, but then what's next? 
We simply ask, what is it that you want? And it's very different for everybody. So that which has value is not always money. It's, it can be something like more time or simply like for most of us to be allowed to do think, things at their own pace uh, at their time with the way they structure their day. And that's how we handle it. I just say, look, these are your outcomes for, let's say, the week, for the month, for the quarter. And you will only be measured by how well you got this done and your communication, basically, because we're not perfect. It, it can always happen that things don't work out the way we thought. Uh, but then it comes down to communication. So I hire motivated employees or VAs in this case. They're not really hired and they're um, contractors, which is more flexible for everybody. But that's what our contractors want as well. So that's fine. We ask them what they want. We give them what they want. And yeah, we communicate a lot in order to be yeah, just transparent with each other and make sure that everybody gets what he or she wants. It's a, you know... An organization aimed at fulfilling everybody's needs. Sounds a bit romantic, but <laughs> bottom line, that's what it is. Yeah, that's such a good point you bring up because so many people are actually scared of, um, and that's one thing that we mentioned before, you know, the perfectionism. And then mm -hmm. coupled with, oh, there are no good people out there who can do what I do. You know, that's such a bad, such a bad mix, <laughs> these two. <laughs> yes, yeah, oh, well said, well said. And to... to Get over that in your own mind, like with your own mind battles of, hey, there are people who are better than I am, but then actually finding them and not destroying your company in the process, basically, with trying a gazillion people and nothing works. Yes. So it's a very good point. And what you said about motivated employees, um, yeah, that ticks similarly to you. And I also figured out or found out they tick similarly to you, but not fully, because then they would be entrepreneurs, as we said. So they still, you know, like there is still a little bit left of, yeah, I just want to have a clear plan what to do and execute, so to say. I don't want to be the person who builds and creates my own business. Yes. And the way you can find out what is the case is by simply, instead of delegating tasks, you delegate outcomes. Because if you delegate a task, what you do is, You give somebody something very specific to do and that person will come back right as it's done asking for more. So we're still in that image of the baby birds because you feed them, but they are never satisfied. So they, so they come back, right? Um, and the way to avoid you becoming the micromanaging master bird <laughs> is by delegating outcomes. So you say what it is that you want achieved, the end goal, let's say developing a product we can sell on Amazon by the end of the month then I don't care how the person gets there and the person will have to figure out. And now those who are a bit like you will find ways because you found ways. They might ask questions in the process, which is totally fine because you are a mentor. You are an enabler, a helper. You help other people create. So the same with your employees as well. Um, but you now delegated responsibility instead of small jobs. And that's the major shift from being a micromanager to actually being a supervisor and a coach in this case. Oh, I love that. Okay, cool. And now we are in the investment um, bubble or quadrant. So any, any thoughts on, on this one? What's important there? Perhaps not bottlenecks because, yeah, what are the things to avoid there and to look out for there? Okay. So full disclaimer, I'm still new to this quadrant and uh, everything is purely subjective. No financial advice, as our American friends used to say. <laughs> um, 
I think it is expand. Is it? It is about expanding what you think is possible. Expanding or expand, like expansion, expanding. Ex to expand what you think is possible, I'll give you a very concise example. If you ask your friends from school what a good investment is, most of them will come up with very classy things or classic things like um, real estate, stocks, um, or maybe I think maybe that most. Mostly that's it already, right? Because what else is there? <laughs> so what else is there? Well, that's a very good question. It depends on your goal. And that's the one important thing that I think is crucial to set a goal. Where do you want to go with your investments? Is it a fixed amount that you want to achieve? Is it a cash flowing asset or is it a portfolio asset? So just as an example, um, you can have stocks, which is in a, a portfolio asset. So They grow and they fall in value, but it's never really cash in your pocket unless you cash out. A cash-flowing asset is something that actually cashes out hard money into your pocket. So this distinction is very important in my opinion. What most people think is possible is something along the lines of 5% to 10% of interest rate per year minus inflation, minus whatever capital gains tax applies to you. Uh, that doesn't sound like much to me, but it sounds like a lot to many people, which is totally fine. Now. My father used to say that if you spend your time working to make money, you never actually have time to make money. And I was always wondering what you meant. And what you meant was that in capitalism, very generally speaking, it is the capital that works. It's not the humans. Otherwise, it would be called socialism. I know it's very broad of a, of a statement and um, very debatable, depending on your point of view. But the point that it's trying to make is that in the system we live in, Money is intended to make money rather than people unless you choose to work for your money, which is also totally fine. So how do we do that? And what assets are currently out there that you can use? Now, it's countless. I was mind blown by the possibilities. I didn't know that you can invest in whiskey, for example, uh, and not just buying bottles and storing them. I mean, let's say investing into whiskey or big brands into the barrel uh, and simply participating Uh, in the appreciation of value that a, a whiskey gets year after year, which I think is a perfectly value-backed asset in the real world. Brings us to the next important distinction. And it's is yummy. It something... Yum, yum. And it's yum. If you choose the right one, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brings us to the next very important distinction. Do you want to invest in something that has actual intrinsic value as a storage of value, <clears throat> like gold, like whiskey, like a Rolex watch, unless you carry it, then it loses value, apparently? Or do you want to invest into something that is supposed to cash flow money into your pocket? Those are very different things. So once you have clarity on that, and I actually do a mix of both, you can then choose the vehicles that get you to whatever number or other goal that you choose for yourself. So an example, I was one of the people for most part of my life that thought that 10% per year is... A good deal. Where do you get that? Right? I think it's not bad, depending on what you compare it with. But let's say you have an algorithm, um, Forex trading algorithm. Somebody built it. Somebody said, okay, I have 15 years experience in Forex trading. I put that experience into a trading bot. You can now participate with whatever amount you feel comfortable with. And that bot will then trade on your behalf and make another 7 8%. And I had that very conversation the other day. And I said, yeah, like per year, you mean? And that person said, no, 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 that's per month. Okay, um, mind blown. How is that possible? And yeah, he explained it by simply taking the emotion out of trading, which is why most people fail in trading. And, you know, we're humans, so we have lots of emotions that uh, 
don't always that aren't always good for us in this case. So he showed me the track record and I thought, okay, why not try it? So now there we go, 7% per month. Not always, of course, but over the year. This is one asset. Then you have crypto. Don't even know where to start. This resets the entire landscape. It's uh, like somebody reinvented the internet, uh, the internet and now everything is starting from zero. The same thing we saw in the early 90s, the same opportunities, the same ecosystems, but now on the blockchain. Um, so it's... It's ridiculous what's happening. And I'm, I'm more than happy to be participating in this because I don't mind where the market goes because this is a long-term trade. Um, I chose a long-term vision here. I chose to focus on uh, the crypto gaming industry because I think it is the most obvious example of a uh, use case. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want, I can, I can dive into that. Yeah, why not? Let's, let's cool. share your, your wisdom or your knowledge, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> <laughs> Everything in investing is just educated guesses, right? Yeah. So there's no no absolute truth. You don't want to. You don't want to call yourself wise today. Okay, good. You choose. Well, that's fine. Yeah, because we, we never stop learning, right? And um, I was once told that arrogance is to declare irrelevant that which you don't yet know. Mm, good one. So there's a lot to learn still, and, and I see that day after day. That's why. Yeah. So. What's happening in the crypto gaming space? I think everybody has heard of um, the bit, the Bitcoin, of Ethereum, those big so-called stable coins, although stability is a very relative concept, especially in crypto. I think that's obvious. But what we see happening is that if we go away a bit of that most commonly understood use case of a cryptocurrency, uh, there are many other use cases of the actual technology behind the Bitcoin, which is the blockchain. So I'm no expert at explaining how it works, but generally, as I, as I understand it, it's like an order book that's online that's more or less transparent, where every transaction is being researchable. So in, a, in an order book like that, you can plug in different add-ons in order to make it more functional. One of these potential features that you can plug into the blockchain is NFTs, which are non-fungible tokens. What that means is that in contrast to a Bitcoin, which is, extend, which is intended to exchange value between two parties, like a currency, a non-fungible token is not meant for exchange, at least not as a liquid currency, if you will. So what a non-fungible token basically is at its core is an entry into this order book that simply states ownership of something uh, in a verifiable, public, and encrypted way. So Everything that is now offline and needs some kind of authentication or proof of anything, really proof of ownership, proof of whatever you want, or like a valid transaction, whatever it might be, can now be validated on the blockchain through an NFT. So let's say if you own a JPEG, um, which is very interesting because you could own generic versions of a JPEG, digitalized, pixelized versions of a generic product, which is, let's say, a meme. Um, There was no value in owning something that was multipliable indefinitely because it's generic and nothing generic has inherent value, obviously. Mm. But now with these NFTs that um, stamp onto the blockchain, the uniqueness of, let's say, a JPEG or a meme or whatever other digital asset that you want you are now the singular owner of something. And whenever something becomes unique, it becomes tradable. It gets an inherent value, um, like a unique painting. So if you take um, a meme, for example, everybody has heard stories about people that get um, negative feedback on the internet because they are 
the four-year-old kid on a meme uh, against their will, and now they are 25 and their life is destroyed, right? <laughs> so there are cases where uh, people like that, who used to be that four-year-old kid on the meme, have now claimed ownership of that meme because it's them in the picture, it's their personal right. And since they have now the NFT stamp, if you will, on the blockchain, they can now sell this NFT because it's unique, it's theirs. And uh, many um, meme victims, if you want to call them, have now become multimillionaires by doing just that. And it's probably the most, well, most pro-tip shortcut for anybody for whom this applies <laughs> to make a lot of money. That's okay, uh, on a side note. So coming back full circle to crypto gaming NFTs, have you played computer games in the past? Anything? Uh, I started when I was 14 because my brother did that and I played probably for a week. It was something about building, I think, settlements or something like that in the very early stages. So that's my own ex my whole experience. But I guess there will be many people listening to the podcast who have gaming experience. So please keep going. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a good example. Um, I think the most tangible one for everybody to understand is something like World of Warcraft. Many people have heard it. Some fantasy world where you can level up your character and collect items, uh, artifacts, and whatever helps your character improve. So let's say you have a sword. Um, and until now, before the blockchain, that sword was generic. It was just a, a bunch of pixels that was multipliable indefinitely. But now let's say a publisher like Blizzard Entertainment, who is the creator of World of Warcraft, comes out and says, okay, this sword only exists 100 times because we stamped it on the blockchain via NFT. Um, you now have a tradable asset and you now have the opportunity to, let's say, invest in companies that emerge, that are only just startups now, that create the very foundation of this technology that is needed to um, put things onto the blockchain. Because this is not classic, classic expertise of publishers, of game publishers. They know how to create a game, but they don't have any blockchain expertise. They don't know how to, how to put an asset onto the blockchain. So... One of those companies, as an example, is called Altura, uh, A-L-T-U-R-A, very young company still. And what they do is they provide the databases and the interfaces in order to enable every publisher out there to put uh, an NFT object on the blockchain. Example, you have a sword, and let's say in World of Warcraft, um, it is now yours, you bought it. Somebody else wants to buy it, they now will have to make probably a higher amount of transaction to buy it from you. If, let's say, your character levels by quite a bit and your sword was upgraded a couple of times, well, first off, you need the technology to tell the blockchain, hey, my sword was upgraded, please upgrade it on the, on the blockchain as well in order for my, my new asset to appreciate as well. So this is what's happening. This is what's happening with probably every game in the future, with every object in any game. I'm not even talking about uh, metaverses, what, um, what Facebook is building these days, what the Winklevoss twins are building these stage, which is, which is quite fun, by the way, because they used to be in clinch with um, Zuckerberg at the time when it came to building Facebook. The Winklevoss twins were like, hey, we built this. And he said, no, I built this, which, well, the result of which we can all see in uh, the social network. Amazing movie, by the way. <laughs> and now they're pulling up the same again. Facebook is building a metaverse, which is basically just a virtual reality world, just on the blockchain, so that, again, everything is tradable and everything can be owned and exchanged indefinitely uh, for money or crypto assets, whatever you like. And the Winklevoss twins are saying, no, Mark, uh, yours is a centralized version on Meta, your new Facebook name. We think power to the people. We want to build something open source free for everybody. 
So what that means is we will now have a bunch of billionaires competing against each other again, like Elon and Jeff again, uh, competing uh, about Mars. Um, but this time on metaverses and NFT objects and all this kind of stuff. But long story short, this is a long game. And there are so many niches in the crypto world right now emerging. It's insurance, it's privacy, it's, well, smart contracts used to be the case of, of last year, but they're only just evolving. Crypto gaming, metaverses, and all those niches have coins below them, which are basically startups. So you can take a look at them and become a startup investor for the first time in your life with a single euro or whatever amount you like. This game used to be very exclusive before blockchain came. This used to be for the Silicon Valley billionaires, for the Andreessen Horowitzes of the world. Uh, and now it's very, very democratic in a way, which is both good and bad because many people can now get into this and stumble and fall. But for as long as you don't make anything stupid and stand up and keep doing your research, uh, it's hell of a playground. Mm. And um, thank you for this. I will probably have to re-listen to that podcast episode and <laughs> get all your all your knowledge um, around that. It's super. It's really very fascinating. Um, and what you touched on now was yeah. And you also touched on that before about mistakes, making mistakes, um, having failures, all of that. Could you um, either with that example or something else, touch a little bit more on that. Like what do failure or what does failure mean? Um, how can you make sure to not fully collapse as you also said, so that you're able to, to get up again? What are your thoughts around that? Uh, in investing or business or both? Uh, everything, both. Okay. But you start with whatever you want to start. Yes. And it's to always just work with money that you can afford to lose, which sounds like a tough statement, especially when we're only starting out and we're used to betting everything. We're used to betting everything on ourselves and everything on our businesses, which falls down to the same basically to a certain extent. Uh, but that's fine because we can rely on ourselves. That's okay. There's limited risk there because we control everything. Um, but beyond that, when it comes to investing into other people's projects, especially, it has to be money that Uh, worst case, you can afford to lose. Otherwise, you run into issues, obviously. So that's one thing. Second thing is to always have a, um, a backup, some safeguard, some second cash flowing assets, ideally beyond your business. Because the business that you build is consuming most of the cash that it creates. Um, you can optimize that to some extent until you can take something out. That's fine. But then again, ultimately, this goes back to one single income stream. So anybody who's a hustler has created something great. But at the same time, we're no better off than an employee because we only have one income stream. So the very first thing before investing anything into anything is to make sure you have at least two income streams so that whenever you fail, you don't really fail. Oh, I like that. <clears throat> Um, and it's probably also something what we talked about before, the mind, the mind shifts or mindset shifts uh, away from, yeah, like I myself, I invest in myself, my business is me. So, yeah, of course I can, can rely on myself, but diversifying and having more on the side at some point. And especially things yes. when you're not investing in yourself anymore, but branching out, so to say. Yes, yes, well said, Lydia. The, uh, one of the most important jobs that we have is to, as efficiently as possible, 
turn income that comes from work into either passive or portfolio income. So if you have a job or if you have if you are at that hustling stage where the business is basically you, just make sure to get into a habit of uh, taking profits, however small they are, just take them, put them aside, and then lead them into whatever you feel comfortable with as an investment vehicle in order to build the snowball that is at some point um, protecting you against uh, whatever can happen. Because one thing is very clear, when we are either investing or becoming an entrepreneur, which we all are at this stage, we're signing up for a roller coaster ride, and it is for sure that we will get one. Yeah, it is definitely a roller coaster ride. Um, I have two more questions. Um, one is um, because we mentioned the hustle. We mentioned the hustle and hustling a lot. And um, what were your steps, or where are you on your journey of basically exchanging the hustle and the hard work for ease, freedom, and yeah, the life you enjoy? Like, what? Where are you? Are you where you want to be or like, are you beyond the hustle as the name of the podcast is, or is there still a way to go? And what, what were your steps? I'd answer that with uh, Pareto again, 80, 20. Um, I've probably made 80% of the heavy lifting by now, um, but there's still a way to go as always. Then again, it's only yourself who define when you're really done and when you feel comfortable um, for myself. It's been it's been hell of a ride so far. It's been tougher than I thought. We've burned a lot of money. We've made many mistakes. Um, for example, trying to sell in the US with a with a container of about 160,000 worth of uh, goods that got destroyed by Amazon because there were a couple of um, emails that did not arrive in time. So this, for example, it's just you lost 160,000 due yes. to that. Oh my yes. goodness. Yes. Um, but um, these are things that just happen. It's, it's part of the way. So recovering from something like this um, sets your expectations right in a way to not, well, at the one hand to dream, but not to be unrealistic. So it took a long time to recover from that, at least one and a half years, I'd say. Uh, and that's just true for every business. Uh, every business is different there. And um, coming back to the actual question, which was to, you want to say it again? To shift from, from hustle towards a lifestyle of ease and freedom. And what were your steps? Yes, yes. Around 80% there. Mm -hmm. Indeed. So the crucial things were to, to leverage um, other people's time and energy, which usually they are happy to do in turn for respect and whatever they think is of value to them. Uh, money, of course, as well, but just as, a, as part of I it. pay with respect. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, well, yeah, some people, for some uh, people, that's it. I mean, I think that should be given, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, not everybody is like us, I guess. So um, the other 20%, 20% that are still left to go are usually in the investments uh, quadrant. That's where I see them because I, I've recently made a troubling experience, which is that at some point, if you invest your capital right, you make more money doing what looks like nothing as opposed to what you've been doing for the last decade or whatever it is, which is the hustle. So a bit similar to the learning between the self-employment quadrant and the business ownership quadrant is where you transcend your own energy and your own hustling capability 
the same appears to be happening again. So that shift between business owner and investor is also the shift of letting go again um, from old beliefs, uh, which is funny enough, again, the belief that you have to control everything and uh, that money only comes when you do a proportionate amount of effort, which at some point is just not true anymore. Of course, uh, there is a tendency towards value flowing towards the value creators proportionately to the amount of value they create. This is true for the business quadrant. That's perfectly valid and accurate there. It's not necessarily valid for the I quadrant because for that, I've seen too many people do ridiculous amounts of money just by doing the right amount of research at the right time and the right object or project, uh, especially true in crypto, but of course also true in, in stocks and whatever other kind of investment you choose. So that's troubling because I come, I come from a very humble background. It's a small town in, in Germany where people have very limited ambitions, um, which is understandable given where they, where, where they grew up. There's simply a lack of inspiration, lack of knowing what's possible. So again, um, trying to expand my horizon here by reading the right books, by listening to the right people, by following those who I find inspiring. Um, yes, it works, but it is, it is troubling because I like that idea. I like the idea of you putting in uh, some effort and a proportionate response. So as rewarding as it is financially to see that this might not always be true, it's also a bit ambivalent of a realization, but that's just the thing. Yeah. And I love that um, because it brings up something I posted. I, I created a post, a value post today on LinkedIn. Oh, nice. And it was a little bit around um, a similar thing. Like, what? why do you work hard? Like, what does it give you? And what you're touching on is, yeah, what if you start making so much money? Like, you have to be able to hold that um, psychologically, you know, that you're yes. not doing anything for that and you make huge amounts of money. You have to... You have to be capable to accept that and and be able to not throw it all away again because you can't believe it and you think you're not good enough, you're not worthy to do that and you are doing something bad. And you also have to know what to do with your life now. And I think many people keep themselves from, from going there because work is such an important part of our life. So I do think we have to find something like to create impact in whatever way it could be talking to people like you do, you know, but like right now. So I think we touch on a whole different level of the meaning of existence, so to say. Yeah. Well, amazing, amazing message of yours that you put out there today, because it is again, a troubling experience um, that you think that the end is the goal. You think that the end justifies the means. And uh, if you're very, let's say, ambitious, you, you aim at somewhere in the millions of euros or dollars or whatever it is. And you think that once you're there, you made it. Then again, it's also a truth that um, there's a high amount of depression among millionaires simply because they lost their purpose. They lost uh, what they've been working towards for so long. Full disclaimer, I'm not there yet. But at the same time, although I think it is true what this... Uh, statistics wherever I read it says the reason we are getting out of bed in the morning doesn't have to change just because we don't have to worry about our bank account anymore uh, and I don't think it's hard to find something 
worth living for or worth getting out of bed for. It can be simple things um, like making sure your partner has a great time, your, your partner has a great time. It can be things like, uh, very good, very good we're talking about this because one of the reasons, uh, this is very transparent here, I'm being very honest at this point. One of the reasons um, I am in Cyprus um, beyond not being able to survive a business in Germany, but that's mostly none of your fault. Full disclaimer here again. Um, beyond surviving with our business here and bringing it to a level where it's actually fun again, that worked perfectly. So short uh, banner uh, announcement for Cyprus here <laughs> is that <clears throat> you can keep more of your money, very generally speaking, in order to leverage it for good things that the government usually doesn't cover. It's not only in Germany um, that you find many blind spots that are not covered by the taxes that the state collects. Uh, it's usually not often talked about, but if you have in your city uh, a place where poor people get their food because nobody else takes care of them, let's say you have a country that's not blessed with an insurance, uh, either health insurance or let's say something like basic uh, coverage for, for the poor or those who are either, well, probably incapable of working. There are many people getting left behind and I don't understand how there are, especially Western societies like the German one, where year after year you can read about new record heights of uh, tax income for the country, but at the same time we see things rot left and right. I don't get it. So how do we change that? It's not necessarily by changing the state or how they run it. Maybe that's beyond our scope. But as entrepreneurs, I said earlier, we are all creators. So we can create <clears throat> a solution for whatever uh, injustices we perceive. Something very simple here in Cyprus, which is apparent to us, um, Annika and I, that um, there are many shelter, uh, not many shelters here for dogs, for street dogs, for street cats, stray cats. Uh, or other animals that are simply getting left behind. Because I've never heard, either in Germany or anywhere else, of a government-run program to help animals in the streets. Why is that? I don't know. I keep hearing a lot of ways where tax money is being spent that make less sense than spending it on animals who can help themselves. So being an entrepreneur, um, transcending all those quadrants, getting into the eye quadrant until you get that power into your hands to actually change these, these things, this should be more than enough drive to get out of bed in the morning. Um, so as much as I understand this dilemma of having achieved your goal and maybe wondering what it is that you want to do in life, I think there are more than enough things worth getting out of bed for that you can simply choose from. And this is, a, this is great news. This is fun because, you know, some people say life, life begins after 40, after the age of 40. Um, I think you could also say that life begins once you don't have to worry about making money anymore. So true. And um, yeah, it, it um, needs a level of probably, again, personal development of people to discover what is my purpose? Like, what do I want to support? What are the causes? And especially if you have been stuck in, in a survival spiral for too long, and I mean survival mm -hmm. Um, spiral also when you just have basic normal income in Germany, for example, which is whatever, 3,000, 4,000 a month or even less, 2,000. There yeah, is much, much less mind space to think about stuff like that. And so once you get there, you do have to grow into like, wow, what, you know, what is it now? What are my desires now to support and help? So great, great, great that you brought this up, that there is just a variety of 
support you can give and just figure out, do I want to help animals? Do I want to help little children? Whatever, do I want to help war veterans? Like there is just a huge amount of people you can support yep. with this surplus of money you make. So thank you for that thought. And Michael, last question. Watch, what just any last thoughts you want to share with the audience? Just basically your um, goodbye for today's interview. <laughs> well, for anybody who made it this far, thank you for sticking with us. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> That's the first thing. So thank you very much for listening. Um, I hope you, you got something out of this today. That's the most important thing that we as entrepreneurs help everybody else grow because um, the state won't help us. Many other people can't help us because we're, we're aliens, let's face it. <laughs> But if you manage to find other people like us, other people in your surroundings, then that's a biggie. That's huge um, to hack those five people around you. I can't really, can't really stress this enough. And um, as much as we touched on finding mentors or coaches or whoever to help you, it can easily be books as well. The right book at the right time, uh, for me, one of the biggest best books beyond all Kiyosaki books I read. <laughs> so don't start with uh, Cashflow Quadrant or Rich Dad Poor Dad. Read them all. Rich Dad's Investment Guide is probably one of the best tips when it comes to finding your set of rules for uh, an investment style that you feel at ease with. But then um, Gary Keller, the one thing, absolute classic, one of the best books I've ever read, hands down, because it is about the focus that we mentioned earlier. Uh, unless you focus, you won't get much done. That's simple. That's the simple truth of the game. And um, yeah, just say curious and enthusiastic and especially optimistic because we all know the hustle. We all know that at some point it might feel impossible to escape this. At some point we feel stuck and overwhelmed by all these things that business throw that throws at us. So um, don't be afraid. Keep your optimism, keep your courage uh, and keep looking for higher level answers because they're all out there. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. You don't have to do anything on your own really because people to help you are out there the books to help you are out there and um, personally if you have any question feel free to just reach out it's send a message at life.de um, yes seriously that's my email address um, send a message at life.de um, it might take a bit for me to answer because um, yeah I'm slow sometimes but that's okay <laughs> <laughs> so feel free to reach out in case you have anything i can help you with i'm more than happy to do so thank you so much and yes we will put the perhaps one of the book links into um, the show notes and obviously how you can find out more about michael how you can reach him um, whatever links he's going to give to me i'm going to put in the show notes make sure to yeah to reach out with all your with any of your questions or any other support knowledge um, you want to have. So thank you so much. Um, also, thank you to the audience and thank for listening and um, for your amazing, amazing knowledge you shared today. It was a pleasure talking to you. An honor to be here. Thank you so much, Tina. Did you like this podcast episode? Then please share it with people who you know could benefit from it. Also, I would be super grateful if you could leave me a five-star rating and review on iTunes. It would mean such a lot to me. If you want to stay connected with me, please join my Telegram channel for daily mini reminders around mindset, business growth, investing and living life to the fullest. Or message me directly on Instagram or LinkedIn. You will find all the links in the show notes. Thank you for listening and until the next episode. Much love, Lydia.